Okay, well, uh, relevant to the topic. Immediately regret coming on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, welcome to the show. Uh, This is Infinity License, episode 21. Uh, How's it going, Brian? Hey, I'm I'm Brian Pisano, and I am here. You're here. here. I am here right now. We're all here. We're all present. Uh, We are present today with uh, Tom McKay. He's a Gizmodo writer. Can, you, can we say writer at large? Does that make it better or like different? I'm not sure what the technical definition of at large is. It, uh, I'm not sure whether that's a good thing or a bad there's thing. Probably, there's probably a blog that's called at large or something. Yeah, <laughs> www.atlarge.net. <laughs> yeah. Tom, Tom McKay, we're here with Tom McKay uh, of the famous Tom Zone, the Tom Zone. You're still going <laughs> by that, the right? Tom Zone. At the Tom Zone. It's it's a terrible name that uh, after I got verified, I can never change again, um, or I will lose my badge. Which is a big <laughs> deal right now because Richard Spencer just lost his badge today. Laura and, Loomer lost her badge. Oh uh, yeah, all the alt right are losing their badges. I mean, I, Spencer's not even alt right. He's just. <laughs> Racist. I mean, he, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, how do they do? They decide they're going to start. I mean, they know it's him. Like the point they of a badge the, is they not they change the language policy around terrible haircuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Hey, I actually, I'm going to go. I have this opinion that I think Steve Bannon like is a really cool looking guy. <laughs> no, um, yeah, I disagree with this theory. <laughs> yeah, I think Richard Spencer has got nice hair. I mean, you can't take that away from him. Uh, <laughs> I mean, a yes, you can take whatever you want away from Richard Spencer, and b Steve Bannon looks like the villain in one of those movies where like a group of teens hit someone with their car <laughs> and then like they start getting letters from like the guy that possibly they hit. him yeah uh, I know what you did in his like his like oily green fisherman's <laughs> coat. <laughs> I, uh, that's a that's a very colorful and perfect image. And Richard Spencer has the hair. He looks like an extra in Peaky Blinders. He looks like uh, Look, he guys. I hate black people. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't. I can't hope who I'm attracted to. Him. Yeah. Okay. Well, what are you gonna do? Um, yeah. So Tom, you are. Uh, you tweet a lot, and actually, I gotta tell you, this is a good venue to tell you that a lot of your tweets are pretty good. Like the percentage of tweets that you have, especially considering the ridiculous volume of them. It's a pretty high bar of quality that you've established. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I just hear things in my head, and I have to get them out. Um, <laughs> so I decided the best way to do that was to transmit that to tens of thousands of strangers online. Do you uh, have any uh, relationships with people that you, like, only know from, like, they reply to you all the time, or they're, like, they hate you? Uh, you know, I, I, I've met, you know... One of the only reasons that like I became so active on this website is uh, because you tend to meet a lot of people. So I've made friends through Twitter. Right. Um, I've also met some of the like goddamn stupidest people in the entire <laughs> universe. <laughs> um, and it, it's, it's great because those people are just as uh, online as me. But uh, see, I'm, I'm just mostly on there for fun. Uh, they're on there for real, which is like a terrifying thing to like think about. That someone like actually thinks that their tweets are very important. Yeah, they're, like they're. Uh, did you see like Trump coming? I mean, you must have watched the rise of the alt right like pretty much up close. Yeah, and uh, well, up 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 close as it as it is on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when, is, well, it's like in real time. Your, the like, distance evolving. your phone is from your face. <laughs> yeah, you can you can kind of track uh, how some of these people that used to be fringe just uh, exploded in prominence uh, due to this site, and also. Uh, one one thing that's weird about Twitter is the way in which it's like sort of like like a Lovecraft novel, like <laughs> the the barrier between like the real world and this horrifying hell site has begun <laughs> to like tear, and like the tentacles have come through. Uh, for example, uh, there's this guy, uh, Kurt Schlechter, uh, <laughs> Colonel Kurt, uh, <laughs> known for writing a fanfic of how the Iraq War uh, would be one, uh, starring a guy that's clearly him, uh, known <laughs> as the wild. Yeah, the president calls in the wild man, oh who I, I think begins bombing hospitals or possibly, you know, executing random Iraqi children. 
Um, and Ben Isis is solved. Um, <laughs> Just by the sheer virility but, of this stand-in, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Kurt is Kurt's a great character uh, to talk about this because Kurt actually did break into the real world again. He's a contributor for townhall.com. Yeah. Which he, is, he was that before, though, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been that for a while. And townhall.com is kind of like if the Daily Caller and the Federalist had a baby. Oh, boy. And that baby didn't get into college. <laughs> <laughs> um, for purely academic, non-financial <laughs> reasons. Yeah. Um, but Kurt broke into the real world because uh, do you remember when he got uh, shit-talked by, I believe it was the Anne Frank Memorial Center? <laughs> <laughs> no, what did they say? Uh, because he Those was he was talking spiteful ab- bastards. He was talking about how there were uh, all the Jews that are liberal liberal on I think Iran or maybe terrorism were just like the Jews that shoveled other Jews into like uh, the capos, ca- yeah, 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 calling him capos. Uh, yeah. Oh my and god! And the Anne Frank yeah. Center was like, "Hey, man, chill out." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so the reason I brought Kurt up is uh, not just because he's like a crazy right-wing person, but because uh, another thing that's that's awesome about Twitter is that it invites the stupidest people <laughs> in the world to, like, broadcast themselves uh, yeah. with, like, an absolute zero level of self-awareness about it. <laughs> so Kurt uh, is is best known for getting very angry online and also constantly tweeting about his quote-unquote hot wife, <laughs> um, which you you may know um, is a term used in the cuckolding community. Um, for what purposes, I will leave you to guess. We'll, we'll leave our listeners to some Googling and, you know, NSFW, guys, so yes, yes, do that at home. Yes, please go Google cuckold hot wife. <laughs> um, and also, Kurt uh, first came onto my radar because I I had uh, an unfunny joke in my bio that identified me as the author of The Idiot's Guide to William Shatner's Tech War. <laughs> and, and Kurt, uh, for, I want to say, at least nine months, genuinely believed that I was a tech war academic. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he would constantly taunt me with inaccurate tech war references. Like, oh, that's the episode where uh, Zargon took the humans to, like, Planet X. And it's like... Kurt, A, you don't know what tech war is. <laughs> I only know about what tech war is because it's mentioned once in The Simpsons, and it had a video game that I played the demo when I was 12. <laughs> um, tech, tech war is this awful William Shatner book series about digital drugs you can download into your brain. <laughs> I think that only corroborates. Oh, this this corroborates. I, I uh, eat Twitter. Yeah, yeah. This corroborates yeah. our this podcast. I think new thesis after our last episode, well, it, which is the internet is completely breaking our brains. There is no point. Like it's there is a point to the internet, but it's also done too much damage where it's too far gone. And even guys like Kurt Schlichter who get on there and they just immediately just start firing off things into the void and have people believe them without with zero reference point and zero. Like, the, the question like, is like, do you think that he was normal at some point and then? Did does he get radicalized online? Well, you can kind of see this thing happening where uh, I think one thing that you can see on social media that happens relentlessly just all the time is that uh, – and I don't know why this is really. People will never, ever, ever admit they're wrong on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> they, they will always – like nine times out of ten, they will double down – and Kurt seems to me to be like somebody that at one point maybe like uh, resembled something like a normal human being, and just over like the course of three or four years of being on Twitter has like contorted himself into a human logic pretzel. <laughs> Does he have a job other than that? I mean, at some point he's he's doing it for a profession. I I have no idea. I mean, I don't I don't see town hall. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as you know, providing the kind of lifestyle that a man like Colonel Schlechter with his hot what she yeah I mean he needs to be traveling to hotels all across the country you know it's funny because I think that like of all the social networks Twitter is the most like a public utility and uh, like I don't really know what like modern life would be without it and so you know and also it's a company that's like the most insolvent and you know Twitter is in perpetual risk of uh 
disappointing investors. Do you know that Saudi Arabia is a huge investor in Twitter? Yeah, I just found that out. Uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, um, when they were writing about the Saudi princes that are being arrested, that are all being the, arrested in a luxury hotel, in the uh, yeah. quote unquote corruption, uh, <laughs> you know, crackdown. Did you on all the very formalized, you know, laws prohibiting corruption in Saudi Arabia? Yeah, oh, they're coming after it. Yeah, before they before they IPO for uh, like three trillion dollars or whatever. That's which is never going to happen. Oh um, also, they proposed like a mega city that stretches well beyond their sovereign borders into other countries. Oh yeah, I wrote about that. Uh, <laughs> is that King, King Abdullah Economic City or whatever? Is the, or is the, uh, other one? the Saudi mega city? Yeah, yeah. Neom. Oh, I okay. think it's called the one where they will have uh, possibly more robots than people. Nice uh, female which robots I, which I that are is a more citizens. Westworld. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they also <laughs> unveiled a, uh, a female robot that they that apparently was was not forced to wear hijab and um they they like kind of the same way that like the president pardons a turkey they jokingly made her a citizen yeah which caused a lot of you know yeah i mean it's not allowed to drive a car but it can stare at a car and make it explode (laughs) (laughs) uh you know that like the the plan to make these like the west world south it's just because that guy what's his name prince uh mohammed bin salman bin salman yeah who's like he's only 32 He's like uh, yeah. He, he's, he's he's the he's, one who they they pick to come. To he's be the, the one. No, he's just like he's, he's, like, he's a he's rising the, social media star. It's <laughs> <laughs> like Jake Paul. Yeah. Uh, yeah so they have uh, always facing Eastworld, um, full of robots <laughs> that have more more rights than their humans. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, no, it explains a lot that like Saudi Arabia would own Twitter. But the, the thing that's funny to me is like, you know, any tech company like is always in danger of you know going out of business. But like. Twitter is the main candidate, I think, that, like, if it were to go out of business or, like, get sold to Disney, like, wasn't there a rumor that it was going to get sold to one of those big media companies at some point? That it, that would be, like, one that we should just vote to nationalize and turn it into fucking, like, the electric company. Because well, Twitter really is, like, a public utility, like the sewer system or something. Well, you know, when it, one issue with that is... Uh, then you can't ban the Nazis uh, because the Nazis so have a right to yeah. yeah be on. I don't I don't know how that kind of thing would work really, but like uh, I I agree with you in the, the sense of there's this larger narrative of Twitter. Uh, I think particularly Facebook and a couple of other very powerful sites like Google. Um, so you know why your internet service uh, if you have crappy internet. Uh, it, that, that's why it is. It's because your ISP acts as a gatekeeper, and it's just between you and the internet infrastructure that is built out to like carry data around, and they have a gatekeeper position that they can abuse by limiting bandwidth. Uh, right. Because someone else gets the internet from city to city, they just have the local infrastructure to get it into your house, and they don't improve it. They just raise prices. Right. And that, I think, is similar to what you have uh, happening right now with um, a handful of companies now can increasingly control the ways in which not necessarily you can only access information, but all of the most popular ways for getting information online are controlled by Facebook, Twitter, Google. Um, I guess Snap's pivot to news nah, they just got, totally they got imploded. No in that game. Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they got like a dancing hot dog. Uh, <laughs> that that hot dog is valued at uh, $10 billion. <laughs> if that's not a sign of the impending bubble in Silicon yeah, Valley. Yeah, I mean, like, well, I mean, but the, the hot dog does have a golden parachute. <laughs> <laughs> the hot dog's going to work for the Brookings Institute. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny that, like, net neutrality has, has remained so under the radar, probably because... Uh, actually, this leads us into our next topic. Um, Roy Moore, one of the you know, it, we just take for granted that these guys that are running for office are old as fuck now, you know. And like, mm-hmm. if they like, Roy Moore is casually seventy years old, just like the president is casually seventy years old and very not casually like going demented. And maybe if these like politicians were a little bit younger and like knew how to use computers, then net neutrality would be getting the attention that it deserves. But it really isn't. It's kind of strange why, given how important it is. And, and you can kind of see this with the larger, you know, Silicon Valley, you know, tech world in that uh, it, it often seems like uh, probably most of our Congress uh, has no idea what's going on. Yeah. Uh, they, they, you know, they came there to like meet interns and hit on them, not <laughs> like regulate complicated technical problems. Yeah. Um, and the younger people that work in Silicon Valley, like the, the CEOs of those companies, they do understand what's going on on a technical level. 
sort of in their companies and they're running even if they have no clue beyond that what's going on uh if they're so it's just these young guys that do kind of understand uh the mechanics of the internet and apps and stuff are running circles around the regulators like at a in a way that i think you could like maybe compare that only to like maybe wall street and the sec like uh like uber for example was able to explode across the entire country like yeah. in like a couple years without uh anyone paying attention at a regulatory level i mean they at all well until, i don't like, know just recently like no, they, the they ran up against a lot of local but, municipal tlc's but, but like down the road after they'd already opened up markets in those cities yeah I, don't know. I, I first heard about uber in like 2012 or something in a megan mcardle article that was talking about why we need Uber in D.C. because apparently D.C. has an extremely regulated uh, livery commission. Mm -hmm. And so I think – I don't know. I think they were running into regulatory problems pretty much from the outset. Yeah, but they're, 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 I think the thing that, about Uber that attracted everyone's attention was that they were so big and they had this Ponzi scheme of ambition that was like – they just kept ratcheting up like how much money they were taking in, uh, what they were going to eventually be able to do. They had these kind of like Amazon-level uh, ideals they were selling and um, – but I mean, they they definitely like had to fight for a lot of it. Well, yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, well, I, I was just gonna say my uh, impression on Uber has always been that they were relying on explosive growth and exactly, they wanted to yeah. muscle out the local competition, which was, for example, in New York, Yellow Cabs. They wanted to establish dominance in all those markets before any competitors moved in, and now all of a sudden they're boggled or they're bogged down in regulatory issues and they have competitors and they're losing horrific amounts of money and that's why they're gambling everything on the self-driving car thing because that is an artificial way of solving many of their problems right and well the thing is i think also related they did have those regulatory problems but because of the speed of the internet and the speed of the way they were putting things out and also the like the inability for regulation to catch up to that and the amount of capital flowing into them they were just able there was the amount of money flowing into silicon valley they're just like whatever we'll just take all this money and loss lead as long as we can and just like flush everyone out of the market like whether it's new york yellow cabs or dc cabs or wherever just flush everyone out and then you know like it's like uh you know fire some bullets into a crowd and, and sort out <laughs> and sort out the casualties yeah. and let god yeah, sort out go, the casualties go shoot some people on fifth avenue and see how the public responds exactly yeah exactly yeah, and, and yeah. i think now their their business model is mostly just trying to subsidize prices lower so they try to drive out like lyft which is just not going to happen yeah it's just never going to it's like they're never going to be able to drive it low enough but and, yeah. uh, like similarly like uh, I don't know if like Twitter spe is specifically is kind of like this, but Facebook is exactly like this and media, yeah. where they've expanded at uh, taken over so much of the digital ecosystem that publishers uh, have just been thrown into a panic. I mean, like uh, the situation in newspapers, I know, is just horrific. It is like I think that staffing is down by double digits every year. And uh, even digital media, which is like trying, which is ostensibly people that have this figured out, because Facebook is a black box that they don't have to share anything about how this shows up on right. people's feeds. Yeah. You have like publishers running around, like even digital sites with like like check chickens with their heads cut off. Like, oh, we're gonna like focus on Facebook Live, and it's like, well, why are we? Because BuzzFeed blew up a watermelon. Yeah. And yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we yeah. got to blow up a watermelon or like, you know, like, I don't know. like. And where they're shedding those jobs, too, is in like editorial writing staff. And also, I mean, all the people that walked out of the New York Times to the uh, the fact checking staff, like staff that are like crucial. To, not, it's like they're not shedding the staff that's like selling stuff. They're shedding the staff that's creating yeah, and like the, con the, creating the content and, and actual actual journalistic content. Yeah, and yeah. and uh, also yeah. at the same time, you do sort of see the rise of uh, social media, like many celebrities that are just like screaming about stuff on social networks that have uh, been able to like attract a lot of attention and sort of like at the same time that we have like less local news or whatever and that the scale of these platforms has made uh, more and more of the conversation just about very broad national news. Mm -hmm we have an increasing focus in a lot of journalistic coverage on sort of like meta news, like news about the news, yeah. like the fake news thing yeah. or like, you know, talk, like news about the way we talk about news or news about social media and less of like the actual mechanics of what's going on in the country. And I think that's a little, that's one weird. of the reasons why the loss of DNA info is so huge. I mean, like they, the thing that sucked about that in addition to everything else was that 
I can't imagine uh, someone else trying that, you know, like super localized uh-huh. news. Yeah, it was and great. It was and it was, it was great niche. content. And it was like, it was hyper local. And it was really, I mean, I love DNA info and the Gothamist too. And I'm feeling guilty about it. Um, I love that. It's also a good excuse for you to um, hate the Cubs again, Lenny. <laughs> it yeah, adds I, on to I, your I Cubs hatred. More. Yeah, absolutely. It only fuels the fire that, that is constantly burning in your heart for the and hatred of the Cubs. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a shame. Uh, and it's again, again, corroborating our thesis about the internet breaking our yeah, brains. Yeah, and, it, and it's like, uh, you know, if you disagree with, you know, President Broke Brains war on the media, <laughs> yeah. but at the same time, like, oh, like some of the biggest, like, stories in the news today are now like, oh, it's about what Hannity is saying, or it's yeah. about, yeah. like, oh, Roy Moore and his war with the Washington Post. So it's like meta news is now attracting more of the attention because uh, we, there's just, like, not as much actual news happening anymore. I think that to some degree the, uh, that represents a, the sort of same loss of naivete uh, that has marked the progression elsewhere in society, the same way that, like, storylines for HBO shows have had to get a little bit more cynical and, you know, irony and then post irony and then retrenching back in irony, you know, we're, we're just understanding how more stuff works. And so the mechanism of it is, is more interesting now sort of the process of it, uh, than the actual, um, than trying to get us to believe something. I think one of the best examples of that is how political, political ads used to try to get you to think, Oh, this guy is, uh, you know, in favor of America and you know the Christian way, by you know throwing out the semiotics at you that you would then conclude, but or, or like you know this this campaign is about uh, lowering taxes or something or, or you know, but now he'll just say this campaign is about this instead of actually putting out the you know the sort of the things that would lead you to empirically uh, conclude that this is what this candidate stands for. They'll just say this campaign is about restoring hope. You know, and it, and it it skips the actual work of, of making you conclude that. So even that is just going to a meta level of telling you what what is happening with the meta news thing, and with Roy Moore in particular right now. If Roy Moore's campaign had happened twenty years ago, it, it would have been a relentless focus on the allegations. Yeah, and it would have been over. It would have been like he would have been but, done. But it, now we're it, in now a saying. meta Roy Moore discussion about like the Washington Post and like the media and like yeah. and he it's allowed himself to distance himself from the facts on the ground in a really strange and disconcerting way. Yeah, like I guess it shouldn't be strange and disconcerting after you know the last election, but this is just like. This is next level. I mean, I think that, and for the exact same reason, I think he might win. I mean, oh, he's, totally. I mean, the polls I, show he's up. Yeah, the, today, yeah. The the poll that I saw today, I think it was a Fox poll, but still, it showed that he was ahead of Jones. Yeah. Well, okay. So one of the one of the things I reported on recently was, uh, so you know that he's he's really doubling down on the Washington Post is paying these women thing. Right. Do you know where that theory? Like, I'm sure he came up with that on his own, but I think a key factor that led him to choose that as his line for a while was it was a tweet. It was a tweet <laughs> from this guy. I can't even remember what his handle was, but he was going by, like, DJ Lewis or something, or Doug <laughs> Lewis. I don't even remember. But it was some guy that's just, like, a grainy photo of, like, a sort of, like, portly old man that looks crazy in a living room uh, that claimed to have... Uh, you, you know, been a veteran and, like, disgusted at the way this country is going. But he posted about how I have a relative in Alabama that, you know, said that they got a phone call saying that they were from the Washington Post. And they wanted to give me $1,000 to speak out against Roy Moore. Oh, my and God. And it got tens of thousands. It got thousands of retweets and faves. How many Even, likes? How many follows did this guy have previous? Like I 20. have no idea. I think I, like a couple. couple t- I think actually tens of thousands. Oh, really? Because okay, he was like so a well-established it, oh, okay. Twitter conspiracy yeah. theorist. Uh, he knows shit that yeah. is what but, you're saying. But like, you know, he's like – it's, it's like – Possibly like just a troll, possibly like a crazy person, but like he like at various times claimed to have like one, two, three, or four purple hearts, or like two bronze stars, or like you know to have lost his limbs in the Vietnam War. Also, he was like commissioned on a carrier that was in service during Korea. Also, he was you know a Navy like communication specialist that was also like a this guy seal. sounds like the man. I'm not gonna yeah, lie. Yeah, and both of his brothers lost all of their limbs. 
Sims in another war. Both of them are just yeah, stumps. So <laughs> crap. He's not keeping his story straight at all. But because his tweets went viral, it got picked up by, you know what the Gateway Pundit is, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that site run by Jim Hoffs, who... Uh, I forget where I read it, but like his like nickname is the stupidest man in Washington. <laughs> um, but he oh, ran yeah, it yeah. as like we can't confirm these allegations, but if true, that is. And then Roy Moore uh, started like touting how. He I mean, was- why not? Why wouldn't he? Especially since countering what this guy is saying is a disgrace to his two stump brothers. Yeah, and, and then their sacrifice. Just earlier this week, someone started sending out robocalls. That you, I, I can't believe you didn't see this. If you didn't, it's uh, it's a robocall from a guy claiming to be a reporter from the Washington Post. Oh my god! Whose name is Bernie Bernstein? <laughs> 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 because I think someone said like, "What, Julie McJewerson?" <laughs> my name is Marvin Lyowitz. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, well, uh, yeah, what, to the like, effect of what? Trying to get them like, to say like that the he Washington. Was like saying, We're looking for like women aged like fifty-two to sixty-seven to come out with allegations against Roy Moore. We will not be reporting this allegations out, except that we will be making a written article and like. And then the, it does actually, and now this is, does George Soros have a position along with Jeff Bezos in the Washington Post? Because then, then they would lose their money. Like, the, this would be like this does is George like, Soros have an investment in the Washington Post? Does he? I don't know. The, like, like, I, I mean, probably. Yeah. I could probably yeah. find someone on Twitter to say he I'm does. Just, I'm yeah. just saying because I mean, this would fall in line with the George Sor- like George Soros paying you know paying protesters paying yeah, uh, paying the, robo or not paying for robocalls to find people that earn that he would he would be paying the. Uh, the, the people who are coming forward. And, and, and again, yeah. like, uh, there was another thing, which is here's how Facebook plays into this. So, example, his wife uh, was uh, touting that he, had, after the allegations broke, that he had the endorsement of, I think, 50-plus local pastors or whatever. And she was posting about it on Facebook. And it turns out that, uh, no, she just, like, this wasn't endorsements from, like, months before. And that, so basically she fabricated or misled on the new letter, like, claiming that they still had all the support. But she was able to post it directly to everyone that supports Roy Moore on Facebook, whereas 20 years ago... They would have had to make that claim, and it right. would have been vetted by a paper before right. it went into the paper the next day. You know? I also love her logic. This is how backwards Alabama is. It's like, hey, my, my husband is in sexual like trouble. Go to the clergy. <laughs> yeah. They have they have no problems, no well, sexual well, allegations against them. None of them Catholic types. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> we don't support what they do over there with the Pope. Yeah, it's it's only yeah the the pro, the Protestants are the, the like the Southern Baptists are the only the ones that they end up like they're like oh they have a mega church and then it turns out they're completely addicted to meth and uh, have been uh, hiring prostitutes. We do, we do <laughs> things right around here, not like them Catholics. Not like them Catholics who are, who get in their sorcery pow, pope powers. We did like them Catholics from around 1939 to 1945. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my favorite thing about the whole Moore thing too is that it at some point does boil down to just a, kind of a reference on the South yeah. and like the mores of the South and the pedophilic predilections of the South picking up 14-year-olds. I mean, it's also just like uh, there's something to be said for the fact that like, so I'm not a pedophile, but if I was a pedophile... You know, I think I would be smart enough not to leave a paper trail. Like, <laughs> That's Roy Moore argument. actually like left a literal paper paper trail. Like he signed like a children or a child he was trying to have sex with yearbook. Yeah, and he said Merry Christmas, and they fucking love that. Yeah, and he was like, uh, he was like hanging out around the Gadsden Mall, um, and then, like used his like position as like a deputy DA to get himself unbanned from the mall. <laughs> um, there was a there was yesterday a report that he called a high school and had the principal take a girl into his office um so that he could talk with her in the middle of the school day over the principal's phone. And it's like Dude, like you, like if you want to be a successful pedophile, like like you need to read the memos, like That's, not write them down. You know, and you realize, like I think a lot of people that run for public office in general are just the fucking weirdest people you've ever met in your life. Like it would never be. I mean, if you were to project forward from your, you know, like sixth grade class, who was going to end up being a senator? It's not the smartest kid or the most ambitious. It's the weirdest one, and that's why. I, the one that I can't wait for the shoe to drop on this is Ted Cruz. He must have done something in the past to have, like, I mean, he walked around his freshman dorm room with a bathrobe and I thought he was smoking a pipe like Hugh Hefner. <laughs> I mean, he must have been the most awkward kid trying to hit on girls. 
you know he's done something like this that that needs to come out. I'm, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna post in the links to this one of the best whitest kids you know sketches of all time, which was the one where they're just like a guy, it's like a campaign ad, and basically the guy is just explaining how the only way you get elected to public office is it being a complete sociopath and a complete disregard for any kind of like other human being and yourself, and you've lived this kind of insane life from the time you were 16 until whenever you get elected. I mean, like I'm I'm, I'm kind of skeptical that Ted Cruz had enough like. Uh, unmonitored human contact in his time in college like to like do anything but cry in his dorm room after like debate club like like did he ever go on a date where like the girl wasn't like okay uh, another friend you know why don't you go to the same bar and then like uh pretend like you, so you just think came, they, like they could have seen him coming ra- yeah. more than Roy Moore no it's more yeah. like one of those like okay you know you can watch and if it looks like it's getting weird you just like oh my god I just walked in so <laughs> no, you're saying nobody ever went into an interaction with Ted Cruz without a rape whistle on them already yeah or like without like an FBI van parked outside <laughs> or like Ted Cruz is there or Ted Cruz's dad there like watching with the shotgun you know, what would be funny is if they turned all of this uh, in that in that idea like you need you need to come into the situation with protection. If the Roy Moore thing just turned into an argument for more concealed carry weapons, it's like, hey, this is why women need to be able to protect themselves with derringers in their garter belts. I, uh, the one the one Roy Moore quote I wanted now on top of Roy Moore being a horrible, sick <laughs> human being, um, the I wanted to pull these quotes from his. Uh, this is from one of his law school professors. Um, I think it was somebody who wrote, this is during the, somebody wrote this, this is during the primary, so when he was going up against Strange, uh, another great politician name, would have loved to have Luther Strange sounds like the Satan's fake ID. I'm like, isn't that like the actual name of like a DC (laughs) supervillain? It it must be. Uh, Um, I I don't actually remember what Luther Strange looks like, but I've imagined he's just like has a shiny bald head. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait for that to be right. (laughs) He's always really crisp suits. So this guy, Guy V. Martin Jr. wrote this and he's like an adjunct professor at uh, University of Alabama Law School. Uh, and, and in law school, the arguments arose from what Benjamin Disraeli would call falling into a deep groove of illogic of being helpless to allow reason to pull you out. If Roy Moore's analysis of a case was tantamount to thinking one plus one equals three and his classmates reasoned otherwise, there was no backing down by Moore. The class was willing to fight to the death against his illogic that no legal mind but one in America would espouse. Moore never won one argument, and the debates got ugly and personal. The result, the result, gone was fulfillment. A teacher of a teacher's hopes for in a, in the still peace of logic and learning. I had no choice but to abandon the Socratic method of class participation in favor of lecture mode because of one student, Roy Moore. This guy almost made him quit teaching. <laughs> Roy Moore. It's like you know how teachers get beaten down over years about like their will to teach and they're like inspiration for teaching. This is Roy Moore that just like crushed this guy. And that spirit. was the last class I ever told. There's uh, no stupid questions. And, and it also goes down to like I uh, keep on reposting this old meme like the, that Roy Moore is the guy who's arguing like look pal you seem to be new around here so let me explain how things work yeah. it's not pedophilia it's a febophilia yeah. and in many cultures it is normal and expected yeah. you also had the one that was like a, a left right spectrum that the bottom right corner was uh, like just an extremely long explanation yeah, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm referring yeah, to yeah 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 oh yeah this, yeah. Did you see that Roy Moore's lawyer actually did that on TV? What explained uh, that this is a like so, a biblical, biblically referenced mode of sexuality? I think it was on MSNBC, and Roy Moore's lawyer was actually explaining that uh, in many cultures, uh, you know, the age, the norms surrounding, you know, age of consent and when it's appropriate for women to get involved are different. And uh, then he actually, like, motioned to, like, one of the, I think it was MSNBC anchors who was of Indian heritage. He was like, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, no. Mr. Arrangey McArrange face. Yeah, he was like, what? He was like, well, you've traveled. And the other co-host was like, he's from Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Like, okay, Roy Moore has the worst lawyer in the world. It's like. Yeah, because when I think of uh, understanding of worldly cultures, I think of Alabama Republicans. Republicans. Yeah, yeah oh it's just like, okay, his lawyer's argument comes down to, uh, well, they were hot, 
and B, uh, hey, Mr. Indian dude, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is funny. It reminds me of the George Wallace quote uh, during the uh, d- during the riots when um, someone was saying uh, that this th- these riots in Selma have reached global proportions. Everyone around the world is talking about it in Chinese media, which. I don't think really was in a super strong state in the '60s, but they were talking about that there. But and you're, you're not a fan of the People's Daily. <laughs> uh, I stand with all all my Maoist uh, comrades. But he, his response was, "I don't even think an average man in China know where he is, let alone where Alabama is." Yeah. So it's funny that now it's like, but. By the way, while he was uh, part of one of these backwards yellow cultures, uh, they also married 14-year-olds. So, you know, there you go. Yeah, well, that's globalism for you. Yeah. <laughs> globalism is roll tide. We do things <laughs> a little different around here like they do in Bangladesh. I, I guess we could take predictions. How long do you think this wave is going to go on for? Like, I fully assume that everyone is going to get caught up in it. Like, there's going to be no male like figures publicly left that untouched from this. I mean, for example, like, I don't know, like fucking Paul Giamatti has probably like done something, you know, and like it all deserves to get called out. So like, when will it turn into a self-reflexive parody of itself? You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I don't know if it is because it seems like there's like a real like cultural shift about this going on. I totally agree. And, uh, one thing that was interesting was, uh, I think it was Gloria Steinem in the nineties. Did you ever hear about like her reaction to the Bill Clinton thing? Yeah. It was in that Caitlin Flanagan article. Mm -hmm. It was like basically that she like said like, oh, well the, well the women knew what it was like victim blaming. It was like, oh, well they knew what they were getting into and they got something out of it. Which was, you know, having to give their boss a blowjob and then getting fired from the White House. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, every, publicly. every girl's dream. Well, that, that, I mean, well, Gloria Steinem. A lot, of the, a lot yeah. of the victims, by the way, of Bill Clinton were way before White House. They were just him nailing somebody in a motel room that he forced them to come to. Right. And, you know, or Juanita Broderick. Or, we, like, yeah, we, we really do have to do an episode where we watch Primary this Colors. Was, uh, this was, uh, like, yeah. allegedly, like, not too far off from the same time period in which Roy Moore was active in, like, Alabama. Not so far from Arkansas. Arkansas. And and putting yeah. Yeah, and putting his uh, his Ten Commandments uh, that was I mean that was early two thousands when it was uh, when he was oh no this com- is like the Bill Clinton stuff 90, goes down uh, to like uh, I think late seventies he, he's 80s. been I mean oh, wow. he's been dogged by this stuff for years I mean the, all of the, his political career. Has and, been marked by, well, the thing, by allegations. The, I mean, the Gloria Steinem thing is well, it's it, yeah that we've all shifted as a culture where I mean it's it's a real shame that Gloria, Gloria Steinem also was the one who's like oh people are only into Bernie because like the, the girls that are into Bernie are into Bernie for the boys. But now that like I, the next generation of feminists come along and be like no uh, we we a we're not going to tolerate sexual assault or any kind of sexual. Uh, uh, transgressions from our political leaders, and even now, and Al Franken today too. That was the that was the hot news uh, coming up. Where like these people are just using their positions of power as as leverage or ways to to coerce people, or just even just use it to their advantage. And it's going on, and obviously it's been going on in politics. It goes on in entertainment. Um, you know, it's and now we're just kind of like, re- and we also knew there was a, it was an open secret for some of these people. It's surprising. The Al Franken thing surprised me, but the Bill Clinton. Thing is something like you said. We've like well, it's been going on since the seventies or eighties, and we've known about it since he was at least president. People in, I mean, uh, like way longer, way longer. I think during the the whole country's zeitgeist was. I think the whole country knowing about it wasn't was. Well, when he ran, I mean, he knew that was his main baggage, and there there was you know the Carville used to talk about a bimbo explosion, yeah. that being the main kind of risk that he was taking on. I think it's interesting. It, it, it's shaping up to be. I mean, I don't know how long the Trump administration is going to go on for, but so far, I think the main uh, real takeaway, like the real impact that it's had, has been to sort of galvanize uh, a mod, a, a, a sort of evolution of feminism that is seizing the reins of society very decisively. I think though the real key will be the transition to actual I mean like yeah it's great that all these people are getting called out and but I mean Donald Trump also got called out on this by a women accusing him of of uh you know, sexual assault or, uh, and there's also been open, I mean, there was a case up until like two days before the election of him and on essentially like somebody that was up on the Lolita Express with Jeffrey Epstein, uh, that was dropped because the, the, the Jane Doe was coerced out of, out of testifying according to the, some, some sources. Um, and also the other, the other allegations that we know we've known about, but it's like, he still won. You know what I mean? Like that. So that's the key. Like, yeah. It, it, and, like, and, and I, and I think one thing is, uh, most of, you know, I, I was reading, um, some piece that was like, wow, like powerful men are getting fired. That never happens. 
Um, and yes, but also you can see that a lot of this is happening in sort of liberal enclaves right. uh, or stereotypically liberal enclaves uh, or places that need to pretend that they're liberal enclaves, like the media, uh, at least insofar as like their commitment to like a progressive work culture or like Hollywood. Uh, I think there was um, some stuff in publishing or like DC um, I think there was a couple like video game bloggers or developers that got hit, but um, you know you can see on the other hand though in the right wing enclaves like Roy Moore's uh, Senate district or you know large stretches of the country that voted for Trump, uh, it doesn't seem to be happening at quite the same pace. And like it's in Roy Moore's case, I don't know if you could point to this as you know, emblematic of something larger going on, but it seems like there's actually, he's benefiting from a reactionary backlash to that. I think, yeah, he, he definitely is. It, it's an interesting split because I'm sure a lot of the women that uh, he assaulted probably were and grew up to be Republicans. I mean, you'd, you'd assume they're, they're Alabama residents. Yeah, I mean, it's, so it's, it's, it's it, probable given the it, uh, it's a fair, expanding number of women that statistically a number of them have to be Republicans. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's a fair point that, that uh, maybe the uptake of this sort of the, the shift in norms has been slower in, in conservative areas. I think there's also, uh, they're a little bit more insular. Certainly there's a lot less famous people in um on on in the right areas, you know, um, and, but uh, I th I think that you know you'd be hard pressed to 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 prove that like those women are not in favor of a, a new regime in which men are not allowed to get away with that stuff, you know. Like I'm sure that in other words, the question is, I'm saying that I think Roy Moore might win partly as just a backlash against the libs, just to own the libs, but sort of beyond the immediate, the, the acute issue of this race, I don't really see conservative women wanting to defend the old ways that much. I think that what we're witnessing is a more broad social shift to uh, an, um, an idea of accountability that never existed before. And uh, I think that that's going to sweep the nation. I, I don't see it as being a political thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I and obviously, I think it's really good and it's re, uh, extremely healthy that we're having this conversation now. Um, I also, uh, because so many of the people being hit by this are uh, very prominent people, or at least they're in very prominent industries, um, I wonder if there's a danger that we would overstate, uh, like, the degree to which this is happening like nationwide if you mm. if that makes sense if yeah. or if there's uh some possibility that this is uh a shift and sort of like a number of like cosmopolitan or like high profile like areas that are supposed to like like forefront of like cultural and social changes so i wouldn't get too comfortable with it because you know this is just like i think that probably the wave of stuff uh, that is happening right now. And I, I don't want to call it the the easy part because I'm sure that it's very difficult uh, on behalf of all these women to speak out. And uh, because it is so ingrained, they've been taught that they shouldn't and that they should just take it. However, I would, I think it's going to take a lot longer for this to fan out to like the entire sort of country where everybody feels comfortable speaking out. And this might be, this might be go against my the thesis, but also so it's kind of like the whiplash where it's you're immediately so all these people that are coming forward are immediately exposed to you know everyone on, in the world. So that's that is very vulnerable and very hard to do and very challenging. At the same time, I think a lot of people are coming forward because they're like, oh, I thought I was the only one, or they they feel they do have they, from the internet they can get the information. I'm like, oh, wait a second, like there's other people out there who had like who were victims of this as well as I. So that's like I guess that's a, that is one good thing that is going on in the current zeitgeist where people it's probably happening a lot now because people are finally a just like all right well if everyone else is if i see this movement of other people that it's like it's fine like i can i can discuss this thing and not have my you know my uh personal life completely ruined or there's other people that i can be in solidarity with then it's then that's a good thing yeah the, yeah um yeah the scope of the problem is being revealed yeah um, i, th I think that's very people true. up um regarding the uh the idea that like these are you know um these are prominent people. I think that uh, we've been socially long overdue for sort of this wildfire clearing out this old ass generation that just they've had a, a grip on media. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, like they, 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 the boomers have done so much fucking harm to this country. Like, I love their music, but like they ha- are, they ran up the debt. You know, like and they, they're going to add more with the new tax plan. They, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, and now they're they're voting for the, these gargoyles. They're still in office. You, we talked about this a couple episodes ago, but the average Democratic member of Congress is 72, 72 years old. Um, I mean, it's, this all needs to get washed away. And if this is one of the things, because it is a generational divide, unfortunately, like this is a, the way that men used to think it was appropriate to act. And I think that modern men hopefully are a little bit more aware. Uh, but if, that, if this is one of the agents that washes away this generation that needs to go, then like I'm all for it. Um, I might be incorrect, but is not the average age of some of the Republicans younger than the Democrats. Oh, no, you're abs- the average age of the Republican members of Congress is in their 40s because of the, yeah. the 2000 because and that's part of the reason why uh, they're so misinformed. You know, like there's all these young people that that literally is they have grown up watching nothing but right wing radio and like, but Fox like News also and, Republicans yeah. love token like uh, rep- they they love tokenism and right. I think that they like voting for young Republicans because they're like, oh, look at this young, unright, uh, upright whippersnapper that's going to, you know, set this country, you know, straight. And he's going to get all the other young people thinking right, too. It was just, and I think part of it, sociopath. too, is, yeah. is that, like, the on the right, there is such a uniformity of ideology that you can really be any age and say it. You know, there's not like, if, if your entire modus operandi is just cutting taxes, uh, you know, hating to various degrees, dog whistling racism. You can be eighty, or you could be twenty-five. You're saying the same thing, you know. Well, yeah, but if you're, you're if not really you're bringing that much your, generational perspective to it. If you're having your uh, incredibly awful, you know, far-right tax agenda being pushed by younger people, I think they think that that gives them a little bit more. Uh, you know, it's like uh, like you can't put Sheldon Adelson out there like in his wheelchair and like you know have him be like, oh well, you should cut my taxes by a billion dollars, or you can't have like you can't have like these decrepit billionaires like the Koch brothers out there like pushing this stuff because it just doesn't look good. So I think they do elect younger people and they push younger people because it makes it look a little bit more palatable on television. But those younger people speak to the older people. I would Yeah, they, yeah, I, that, they're, they're entirely calibrated I, towards boomers. Exactly. I want to I want to know who so like reading the Washington Post where it summarized the the tax plan, it it does not do well by by our generation at all. Certainly it cuts the deduction for student loan debt. That's that is a huge one and for graduate school uh, deductions. I I personally was surprised that it's the Senate one that wants to repeal the individual mandate and Why? for for once because the they, house was like, yeah. "Whoa, buddy, yeah, let's yeah. slow well, down." They, I don't understand why they did it because I mean, unless Mitch McConnell knows that it's just not going to pass. Like, I think because the Senate has more stricter budget rules, right? So they really had to find a way to make the math work. Mm-hmm. So they ha- they really had no other choice. They they have cut in so many horrible ways uh, to to try to make the the budget room for for the one point four nine 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 billion dollars that they that they trillion. need to actually trillion trillion trillion. Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, I, I read a horrible, horrible thing in the National Review by like Kevin Williamson or something, and he was saying, <laughs> "Oh yeah, the guy that loves uh, evicting his family." <laughs> Kevin Williamson truly, is truly a compassionate conservative. That one, his his like his game plan for reforming the middle of the country is just like lay it to waste. <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah, trying. But whenever he starts talking, it's just like like it's just like you hear like booming Wagner and like the cheers <laughs> of a thousand Schustoffel in the background. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, he was like, he, he wrote a thing recently that said he's going to try to get a, a Trump's going to try to get a, a tax bill on his desk by Christmas. He should try it by Thanksgiving because the longer it lingers, the less chance it has of passing. It's like, you're making a generation's worth of tax policy, fucking monster. Yeah. And the way that they've, they've had to cut out spending from the budget, it's not even compassion list it's just stupid like for example they uh <laughs> there was this proposal to cut uh the to, to start taxing uh like shares in companies when they vest instead of uh when they actually are exercised which means that it's it, it basically kills the the compensation structure of any kind of tech company it would be devastating to silicon valley it means that you're you're paying taxes every like 
you know, every quarter or whatever, I get a few more shares in my company. And when that happens, I have to pay taxes on that at that point based on the current valuation of the company instead of strategically when I, when I exercise them or whatever. It, it completely limits the, the ability of companies to uh, attract workers. I mean, that's the only reason you join one of these tech companies. The point is... Ideologically, this could not be less aligned with Republicans. Well, no, and, no, and when no, it was brought up to them, beside, uh, well, it's it's worth closing the point by saying that when it was brought up to them, somebody like wrote, some lobbyist agency wrote a uh, letter to Orrin Hatch, and they actually changed it to to revert it to the opposite. But the point is, it's actually worse to me that it was just an oversight. They just they took a chainsaw to everything they could find, and only when the powerful interests enough, you know, like raise their voices, did they did they revert it. But they are taking these cuts from fucking anywhere just so they can give it to essentially corporations. Well, you know, I think that uh, the way to think about this is they really only have one goal with this. And, like, you, you know, all of, the, all of the ideological things you're referring to, like maybe, like, you know, lower taxes for the middle class or, like, deficit reduction, they're really just window dressing around, you know, getting that top marginal rate and that top corporate rate down as far as possible. And that getting, is all they yeah. care about. And, um, you know, once you realize that, well, of course, the legislative process they have going around this doesn't, like, actually resemble an attempt to build, like, a coherent tax bill. They're just trying to, like, make the ma- – they're just, like – it's like when Homer Simpson has to do his taxes. And he's like, Marge, we have six kids. And, like, he's just scribbling stuff. And Bart, and, you were wounded like, in Vietnam. Just, like, rolls it Back your yeah. four people. Bart, Bart's a Vietnam veteran. Cool. Uh, yeah. That is what they're doing. And yeah, they're- and they did just roll it up into a paper ball and throw it at the post office and it's like well of course that's what's happening because they're not actually crafting policy they're trying to loot the government and like and that's why I never I never want to hear again from any Republican or any conservative person I know that who's going to pay for it who's going to pay for any kind of socialized medicine program it's like guess what you guys just added 1.5 trillion dollars onto the debt for the next decade like sorry like I, I don't want to hear it like I don't want to hear we can't pay for anything oh yeah and <laughs> they like, also like massively jacked up military spending oh, yeah. again this year to yeah, fight yeah, yeah. our wars in what Niger yeah and, uh, <laughs> Niger that we didn't know apparently or like why do we yeah or you know do, do as Mr. Burns says do nothing nuclear missiles to polish for some unknown soldier. It's almost like they want to like concentrate all the wealth into a handful of gated communities and then have a bunch of heavily armed goons surrounding No, them. they didn't just vote for a tax bill. The ha- Half of the benefits of which go to the top 1% of earners over the next 10 years. Oh, yeah. Oh, that did happen. Oh, yeah. Did. And yeah. and the last one, not only transferring to corporations and big business and all these people that are top, top 0.1% earners, but also the estate tax, which is another 0.1% earner. They want to repeal that, which is all also, I would never want to hear shit about the Founding Fathers ever again because that was a huge Founding Father ideal about not preventing the transfer of wealth between generations to have an established aristocracy in this country. There was a whole idea, like the ethos around the estate tax. And, and that, and also the estate tax is not that bad. If you have to worry about the estate tax, your life is fine. Like, yeah, I, I feel it, like, like the logical uh, end point yeah. of this is like, do you ever hear about those tricked out nuclear bunkers the ultra-rich yeah, yeah, are building yeah. for themselves? <laughs> yeah, prepping like, is like huge. Yeah. Our servants will ride out the apocalypse in style. And it's like, well, what happens when money doesn't matter anymore and you've locked yourself up with, like, you, your wife, 20 butlers, (laughs) and, like, a cache of weaponry? Yeah. yeah. Like, do you really think that the underground economy you set up for yourself is going to continue? As long as you keep the weaponry away from the servants, that's the critical part. You got to put their bedrooms over there and the arsenal. Okay, okay. Sorry, sorry. There will be, you know, this this, uh, horde of, like, you know, servants that are being paid. In money that, uh, well, good luck spun- spending that on anything, buddy. And then, this, like, this is actually rich people and like a couple squads of like far right military goons, like yeah. the Nazis from the second purge movie or something. It is well, funny, too, that that's like, they're, third they're yeah. that the, the bulwark against that that a lot of them are defaulting to is Bitcoin, this thing that relies on an insane amount of public infrastructure to have the electric, the amount of electricity, and that a lot of these people is what they're def- they're resorting to to try to or, or survive s- the apocalypse. Seasteading. 
Seasteading is fucking cool, and that shit will work. Anyway, no, that's been Infinity Lens. No, no, no. No, no. <laughs> no, it's the Snowpiercer. Have you guys ever I'm, seen Snowpiercer? Yeah. Oh, it's like the Snowpiercer solution, where we all ride around a train, on, like, nonstop. I mean, I, I saw that movie, and I didn't get why everyone was so grossed out by eating bugs. Yeah, that's a really <laughs> efficient source of protein. That's they like what sell we're all going to be eating. They sell those bugs at Safeco Field now. You can get crickets at Safeco Field in Seattle. Yeah, like, so like, get with the times, people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I want to ask you one last question before we go. Um, so what is it? So I asked you before about like the rise of the alt-right that you've seen, like on this fucking hellhole internet that we have, what is your sort of take been, or like, what has your impression been of like the rise of the very, uh, vocal and like self avowedly radical left over the last couple of years? So, I mean, like, I think it's, uh, pretty obvious that, uh, you can think back to like 2008, like uh, the Obama election. I don't think that, you know, all these liberal minded youngsters just came out of nowhere. Um, I do think that one thing that, uh, sites like Twitter, I think particularly have been useful for is, uh, I think we talked er earlier in the show about how, because it's, uh, allows you to, like, find, you know, common-minded uh, people, like, across the entire country. So I think it has been uh, helpful for uh, their visibility and probably as a networking tool. There's also the – the counterpoint to that is that uh, one of the things that has also risen alongside this would be, like, uh, what is it, like, hashtag activism, clicktivism, yeah. what's it called? Oh, hacktivism, yeah. Yeah, slacktivism. Slacktivism, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, um, one thing I, like, you, you were going to, uh, earlier you are like, how do you stay sane on, like, Twitter? And it's like, well, because I'm on this website for fun and to meet people. And uh, you can't pretend that um, Twitter is a substitute for, like, like I'm a reporter, but like I'm not a political activist. But I would, if I was a political activist, I think I would, I, I hope that uh, I would understand that like my tw like replying to the president's tweet, like and getting the top spot with like, well, actually, you know, uh, this terrorist attack that you're referring to was last week, um, or something like that. Uh, it doesn't really do anything. It's an echo chamber, but it does help people meet within the echo chamber and amplify themselves within the echo chamber. That and it does it does leave it, but like I think like that's what it does. Is there a name for those? Have we come up with a name for those people yet? Like the people that subtweet Trump with very well prepared firsters. Firsters. <laughs> yeah, firsters. I like firsters. Yeah. Uh, Wait, did you say firsters or thirsters? I, well, kind maybe of both. both. Work. I mean, <laughs> the thirsty for that like, first tweet. Thirsty firsters. <laughs> you know, I was I was ruminating on it's a it's a concept worth defining because uh, thirst placers. <laughs> thirst thirst place. placers. I came in thirst place. Like yeah. <laughs> uh, they're doing such a necessary thing because I honestly have like gotten lazy enough that like whenever Trump tweets something, I will just look at the subtweets to. For context, but I also hate those people, and I'm oh, like, oh yeah, they're awful. Nerd. I mean, like, there's like, but there's they're like, doing a good, they're doing like God's work. Well, you know? you know, it's like, okay, so on the one hand, those people are intolerable, and their owns are almost never good because like, they're horrible. They're coming up with shit on the spot. However, there is something to be said that this is the president uh, Donald Trump, as yeah. you may have heard. Trump <laughs> uh, loves Twitter. Uh, and, you know, he considers it a signature communications platform. And anytime anyone in the world wants to read one of his tweets and click on it and goes to his tweet and Twitter, um, directly below it is someone like, why don't you shove that up your wrinkled asshole? <laughs> <laughs> or like, you know, or like, oh, look at you, big boy, using Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them are funny, but most of them, the ones that get the most likes are always... Uh, very earnest, sort of turgidly stated. Well, sir, you know it, it's well, it, Mr. President. Yeah, I don't know if you're carrying the dignity of your office with this tweet. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that. Oh wait, and then they, but the thing is, it's you can tell it's not that automated too because no one knows what the hell he's going to tweet at any given time, and so you have to have humans that are that are just on it, and sometimes they pull up. You know how like the, there's one of these for everything theory of like Trump's Twitter that like he, you have to have yeah. memorized, committed to memory his bank of tweets from like 2012 and th they are able to pull it up so fast and it, it is really impressive and it's also just like these are the, this is, these are the people that are they're just nerds that yeah they and they never have good owns um you know like one thing i have noticed is uh you remember during the campaign 
Uh, there was a period of time in which the top replies to the Trump tweets were always like MAGA dudes. <laughs> and I think they were all bots. Yeah. Because they never said anything. Like, do you remember President Pepe? Yeah. It was like a Twitter account that was always top, and it was that fucking awful frog. Yeah. Apologies to the artist who I like. Yeah, he's yeah, who uh, was disavowed, and I think brought us some kind of yeah, legal action against um, it. Yeah. But like, it was always like President Pepe, and it was like, "We love you, President Trump, MAGA," or like, you know, yeah. like we, you have the tremendous support of the Volk. And, yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah. And now it's always like the like people like asking him like how full his diaper is, <laughs> and it's because those I think a lot of those bots got band and it's kind of like uh as far as like the temperature of twitter goes like it's almost like an emperor has no clothes thing that's just shifted a little because like there's still those like conservative like go use in the replies and a lot of them are bots but they've been shifted down yeah yeah i wonder if twitter has done that has engineered that intentionally because well, I have noticed that. I also think that probably people are are losing interest in subtweeting him just because his like we're we're getting sick of his. It is it videos. is getting fucking old. Uh, just a last question: Do you think that like what do you think? Do you think your life would be better if Twitter like went out of business and like no one bought it? So yeah, so I do think that. Uh, I think that the people that are extremely on Twitter, myself included. Uh, like, I don't know if there'd be that much impact on anyone that isn't extremely on Twitter, to be completely honest. Well, it's mostly oh, journalists at this point, right? Yeah, journalists, it's like journalists policy makers, and media uh, people. Uh, I enjoy the time on weird Twitter. Those are hilarious yeah, jokes. Yeah, it's like comedians <laughs> are on there. Yeah. It's like um, Instagram for people that aren't hot or rich enough to pretend they're hot. <laughs> Um, but, you know, if Twitter went away, uh, I think we would lose, like, what a... Um, sociologist might refer to as a horrible proto culture, <laughs> um, and I would lose like you know a way to like uh, make the like five hours a day where I have nothing to do go away. Um, but I think it would probably Twitter has arguably not been net beneficial for society. <laughs> um, am I going to stop using Twitter? Oh hell no. <laughs> um, is it is it bad? I think yeah. I think people are slowly realizing that Twitter is like just like not that great. Uh, I mean it's fun. It's fun, but it's like not that great in the same way that like you'll play. You realize that World of Warcraft isn't so great or something. <laughs> we just cut, put your head up after like yeah, hours of like, like a Warcraft raid, and you're like, oh my god, like I've wasted so much. <laughs> yeah, or it's like you know when a, when a alcoholic like realizes like oh my god, uh, I'm no one thinks it's funny that I'm wearing the ice bucket on my head anymore. <laughs> All right. um, am I going to continue wearing the ice bucket though? Yes. Okay. <laughs> What, all right, now this is a real last question. What's the better front page of the internet, that or, or Reddit? Um, I think they're both pretty shitty. Uh, honestly, though, uh, one thing that Reddit has going for it is, uh, and they don't do, a, I don't think they do a particularly exemplary job of this, but it is functioning, is that Reddit does have like uh, volunteer moderators that do tend to keep a lot of the site under control, and they've cracked down on the parts that they can't control. Um, that said, like, is twi does anyone use Twitter as like a front page of the internet? Like, because it's not categorized. Well, that, that's Reddit's. That's Reddit's. I know um, that. I know that's like their the, tagline. The tag but right. I use Twitter more as a source of like breaking news. For example, I've always thought of uh, and to it, see if consensus is rolling. Like for today, for Frank and I was on Twitter. I, I feel like uh, I would. I would assume that for most people, uh, the front page of the internet is Facebook. Uh, well, I think that's, that's Facebook's. Yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, Facebook think, as a front page, or maybe Google. Yeah, I think Reddit speaks to the demographic in the room. Reddit and Twitter speak to the demographic in the room where we, you, they're fighting for us, the people in our yeah, bracket. I, I think like, that, I think there's just like people that are. I think that if you did like a meta analysis of people on Reddit and Twitter, they're probably people that aren't on Facebook as much. Yeah, that's true. I, I, yeah. It's always weird when because I, I used to be extremely on Facebook, and I now it holds much, no yeah. appeal. No, to me Facebook is, is trash. I, I open Facebook and I'm like. This is complete yeah, trash. It's completely trash. I deleted yeah. my Facebook uh, yeah. phone, app on my phone. It's just like just taking up too much space and not worth it. I th I think where I'm coming from is a place of like I'm assuming that in the future there's going to be uh, we're going to be nostalgic for a time when there was a relative um, collectivization where you could actually go to these like centralized repositories and know what the internet was talking about. Um, and it's just going to be so fractured in the future with so many different. 
our centers of power it, on the I internet. I mean, if our current state of like you know the flow of media on and information on the internet is like something that's like better than what's coming, that's not exactly like a. That's not. That's not very. Well, re- uh, I think reaffirming. that. But better. We humans tend to to prioritize better as things we understand, and like I can spend two hours on. I can spend half an hour on Twitter and feel like I'm very caught up with what the zeitgeist is. That's true, is. but I, I mean like... And that, I, that's what I'm saying will be lost when there are too many centers of, of, of power of, of thought to, to catch up with. But, but that's not the... I don't think that's the pattern we've seen at all because that was sort of uh, the original uh, promise of the internet was, oh, this is going to democratize how we do things online. And instead, what we've seen is that a small handful of monopolies or near monopolies control everything that you do online. And I don't know if there's going to be that much more fracturing happening. That's why Wikipedia. Let's all get on Wikipedia, everybody. Everyone become a Wikipedia volunteer. Donate to Wikipedia. The, the entire internet is now Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's my vote. Deal. Uh, all right, cool. Uh, let's cap it off there. Uh, Tom, Tom McKay, Gizmodo or Gizmodi. Do you have anything Gizmodo. to plug at the Tom Zone? Uh, anything else to plug? Uh, no, not really. You know, um, you can you can Venmo me money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, everyone at the that's Tom listening zone. to the no no, it's Tom Dash McKay Dash One. You heard it. Do at not Lenny do DeFranco. not Venmo the Tom Zone. Your lucrative <laughs> Brian and Lenny listener dollars. Yeah. All right, uh, we'll direct some of the Patreon stuff to you. Enjoy it. So hurry home to your mom. I'm sure she wonders where you are. Get out of here before I have the time to change.